But he's a reason for every season. Isn't that right? And uh, I praise the Lord for that. Appreciate the good song. If you'll stand with us this morning, turn to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter number four, and uh, we'll bring the message that God has laid upon our heart. Appreciate the song this morning. And uh, again, uh, not having choir today due to all the uh, props and things in the play, but uh, we understand that. But I like choir singing, don't you? Amen. I told them last night, uh, right before uh, the close there at the uh, play that uh, to visitors that even on Wednesday night we have choir singing and uh, youth choir singing and I look forward to that, don't you? And I appreciate the good job Brother David, Brother Brian does with the choir and we thank the Lord for that. Galatians chapter number four and verse number four. The Bible says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of Son. And because your sons, God hath sent forth His Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Father, we come to you this morning in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for your presence as it's already been sung about. Your presence for Christmas is all that we need. And we thank you for the presence of Christ. I pray that the presence of God would be real these next few moments. Speak to our hearts and take this message and use it. God, may you be glorified. I pray that your son would be magnified and I pray that the church would be edified tonight or this morning. I pray, God, that you would help us touch our minds, illuminate our hearts and our minds, give us that ready turn of thought. And I ask you, Lord, to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And we'll love you, we'll praise you, and we'll thank you. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen, amen. You can be seated this morning. I want to preach a few minutes this morning on the purpose of Bethlehem, the purpose of Bethlehem. And I would say to you this morning that this is not just a Christmas sermon. I think you know me well enough to know that if I don't feel led to preach on a season, I'm not gonna preach on it. I'm gonna preach whatever God has laid upon our heart. But when we come to the fourth chapter of the book of Galatians here this morning, Paul gives us two illustrations. He gives us a legal illustration in the first seven verses. And then in verses 21 down to verse number 31, he gives us an Old Testament illustration to prove our relationship with God now under the New Testament economy versus what it was like under the Old Testament economy. And I think that you'll agree with me this morning that it's a whole lot better on this side of Calvary being saved than what it was on the other side of Calvary. Amen. What I mean by that, nobody came in this morning carrying a, a sheep or, or leading a sheep in or, a, or any kind of a turtle dove or any kind of animal to be offered up and to be sacrificed because the Lamb of God has come and has taken away the sins of this old wicked world. Amen. Now when you think about this this morning and when Paul gives these two illustrations here, one of which we will talk about a few minutes this morning, the purpose of this is that he might touch both the head and the heart of the believer. Amen. When he gave this old uh, this uh, illustration concerning the this legal illustration about adoption, it was to touch the head and then when he gave the illustration in verses 21 down to verse number 31 about Hagar and Sarah, it was touched the heart. And the reason for that is this, is thank God there is liberty in the Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul finishes this chapter in chapter five in verse number one, he said this, standing fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Amen. I want to say I'm glad this morning I can report to the church and to sinners uh, that through Jesus Christ, uh, we 
have been set free. Amen. And the reason for that is that both the head and the heart must know that. I think you got to comprehend the gospel before you can ever receive the gospel. Isn't that right? You take a young child in this building, they may come to the altar and have a true desire to be saved. Their heart wants to be saved. Their heart wants to receive Christ, but they do not fully understand. They have not fully comprehended. There's got to be a touch intellectually, and then there's got to be a touch within the heart. Amen? But I'll tell you the goodness about that is this, that once you and I have heard the gospel and we understand it, and then we receive it, thank God then we can enjoy it. Amen? And brother, that's the truth of the gospel, is that it helps us both within and without. Amen? So in doing that this morning in these seven verses from verse number one down to verse number seven, the apostle Paul deals with a matter of adoption. He said in verse number five, he said in the latter part that we might receive the adoptions of the son. And then he uses that word again. And another place in this text here, and listen, adoption simply means in the Old Te- in the New Testament, it meant to be son placed, amen? And preferably it meant for an adult son to be placed uh, uh, in his rightful place. What that means is, is that as a child was growing up, there wasn't a whole lot of difference between a son and a slave. And the early verses of this chapter deals with that. But once he becomes of age, he's able to enjoy all the benefits uh, that he has from the father. Under the Old Testament economy, even though they were kept safe, even though the blood had put the note off another year, they could not enjoy all the benefits uh, that accompanied salvation. But the Hebrew writer said this, uh, there is now a new covenant, there is now a new way, there is now a better way, uh, and that better way is in Christ Jesus, amen? And once you and I get saved, uh, we receive the adoption of the sons, uh, and thank God now we can enjoy the full benefit that there comes through being saved and knowing Jesus Christ, amen? But in doing so, do you know what Paul does? He takes us in verse number four to a very familiar place that we celebrate this time of the year. He takes us to Bethlehem. He said in verse number four that when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. Now I ask you this morning, where did that take place? It took place in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is more than just a story in a Christmas Christmas drama. Bethlehem is more than just a place uh, that of, of a name that is hung on the wall during the Christmas season. Bethlehem had a purpose. It had a place in the mind of God before this old mud ball was ever even created. God knew the place just like he knew the hill where his son would die. He knew the place where his son would be born. I would say this morning the, the birth of Bethlehem, the place of Bethlehem is every bit as important as what the hill of Calvary is. You say, well now preacher, I don't know. Calvary's the most important place. I I understand if you think that way. But I want to tell you something. It would have made no difference if Jesus would have died on the cross had he not been virgin born and and conceived by the Holy Ghost. There had to be that perfect birth uh, as much as there had to be that perfect death. And the birth of Christ uh, uh, symbolized his coming as Messiah. And the death of Christ uh, symbolized his, uh, his 
coming as a sacrificial lamb. Both of these are important for Jesus to be the savior of the world. And when you think about Bethlehem, what Paul does in verses four and five and six uh, is he reveals the purpose of this place that we call Bethlehem. I wanna give them to you this morning and be through. My friend, Bethlehem serves a threefold purpose. And I wanna say number one this morning, in verse number four, I see that Bethlehem reveals the mystery of the love of the Father. Notice the Bible said that when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. Now you think about where God sent his son, the place that God sent his son into. He sent him into a world, my friend, that was filled with darkness. Is that right this morning? He sent him into a world that was full of destruction, a world that was filled with demons, a world, my friend, that was full of disease and sickness. That is the world that God sent forth his son into. There's not a parent here this morning that you would ever think about sending your son or your daughter into those dangerous conditions, but God, or Christ, left the father, and the father was willing to give the son that he might come to this old sin curse earth. He condescended amongst men. He was conceived of the Holy Ghost. He was wrapped up in flesh. Born in Bethlehem. Born of a virgin. Had my friend the blood of God and the flesh of man of my friend within his being. God took all of his glory and all of his deity and he poured it into humanity and wrapped it up in a little baby and laid it in a manger on that Bethlehem morning and laying in that little stone trough it was the darling lamb of God. It was God in the flesh, the savior of the world. I say, oh, what love that the father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. What boundless love he has given his son that you and I, the sons of men, might become the sons of God. You see, is that not a mystery this morning? that God would send forth his son. Oh, what a mystery. I do not understand the love of God this morning, but I do receive it. I think the great, one of the greatest verses in all the Bible is John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible said, for God sent not in this world his son in the world to condemn the world. For they said the world was condemned already. He said, but he sent his son into this world that the world through him might be saved. Amen. Romans 5 and verse number 6 says, for scarce for a righteous man will one die yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us Jesus said in John chapter 15 he said greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends the Bible said in 1 John chapter number 4 and verse number 10 herein is love not that we love God he said the Bible says here in his love that we love him because he first loved us, amen. Can I tell you something about the love of God? He loved you before he created you. He loved you before you was ever even born. God loved you before you ever knew him. 
He loved you before he created you. He loved you before he saved you. He loved you. Before, he loved us. And before we ever knew who he was, he loved us when we rejected him. He loved us when we ignored him. You think about all the years that you just ignored God, but yet he loved you. God cannot love you anymore than what he has already loved you. And he cannot love you any less than what he has already loved you. I'm reminded of what he told the nation of Israel. He said, yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. I'm telling you, it's good to know that God loved me before the foundations of this world. Hey, friend, I'm not a Calvinist, but I do believe in the sovereignty and the providential hand of God that when God formed that little hill outside the streets of Jerusalem, he formed it with a hand of love, a hand of mercy, and a hand of grace. He put his son upon the cross and he smote him and he bruised him. Why? Because he loved you and he loved me. Amen. And I want to tell you that's a mystery this morning. You think about how sorry, low down, and rotten we are this morning. When you think about all of our faults and our failures, when you think about this morning how low we are by the standard of God, I'm telling you, God left the heights of glory and he came to the very lowest of hell. What would possess him to do that? It was nothing more than love. There wasn't anything in us worth loving. There wasn't no prosperity. There wasn't no gain, but yet he loved us anyhow. Amen. You know, it's kindly like when a man and a woman falls in love. Have you ever seen somebody and wondered how he got her or she got him? (laughs) There's some of you in this building I've wondered that about. (laughs) And I know I'm not alone when I think that. (laughs) And there's people, please pray for me in this matter. I'm just being honest and maybe I shouldn't be. But I've looked at some people and I thought, man, there is no doubt love is blind. And I'm not talking about 25 years later. I'm talking about, friend, I'm talking about on their wedding day. There's some some things even makeup won't fix. You know that? And brother, I'm telling you, you can put all the lace and the makeup around them, but I'm telling you, it's like dressing up an old fence post. I'm just being honest with you. I mean, y'all just uh, might as well uh, be honest too. You've looked at some people and said, what in the world did she ever see in him? I mean, there's, there, there's no way they've got that great of a personality. <laughs> what was their personality? Brother, I'm telling you, If their personality was glorified, there's some things I don't understand. Isn't that right? You know what it is, Brother David? It's a mystery that we cannot explain. It's the knitting of two hearts. It's love. The Bible says love beareth all things. I'm going to tell you there's something this morning that many times we overlook, and it is the power of love. Love is not liberal for God is love. And God is not liberal. 
I want to tell you this morning, one of the missing links in a lot of Christianity today is we fail to show the love of Christ one to another. The Bible says that charity, love, never faileth. Amen. I'm telling you, a man that loves his country will go to the battlefield and take a, a rifle and will step on foreign soil and will shed his blood for people of the same nationality that he has never seen, nor will he ever see. All because he loves his country and for the cause, he will die for freedom. That's what love is. It sacrifices the love of a father and the love of a mother will go beyond any measure and any means. Will empty out any resource they have. Will bear any bruising. Will bear, my friend, any any ridicule or any criticism for their children. You know what that is? That's the mystery of love, friend. Love goes beyond our comprehension. Love goes beyond our identity. Love goes beyond our own comfort. You know why? Because love knows no boundaries, but as much as as little as we know about the love of God, oh, how great his love is, for it reaches higher than the heavens. It reaches lower than the hell. My friend, love reaches beyond all humanity, for God didn't just love the white man, but he loves the black man, the red man, the yellow man. He loves the the free and he loves the bond. He loves the wise and he loves the unwise. He loves the young and he loves the old. He loves the guilty and he loves the innocent. God loved every man, every woman, every boy, every little girl that's ever treaded this face of this earth. Oh, the mystery of the love of God that he would give the only son for all who would love and would accept him. Jesus died for every man. I think one of the tragedies of a soul in hell is that even though they're in hell, God never stops loving them. Somebody said, why would a loving God put people in hell? A loving God doesn't put people in hell. A loving God gave what no man could ever give to keep souls out of hell. The mystery of the love of the Father. I think the purpose of Bethlehem not only shows the mystery of the love of the Father, but I want you to see something else this morning that my friend, it shows something else and that is, it shows here the miracle of the lowliness of the Son. The Bible says in verse number four, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son made of a woman and made under the law. Boy, you think about this this morning. We're talking about what was the purpose of Bethlehem. It showed the mystery of the love of the Father But I want to tell you this morning, it shows the miracle of the lowliness of the son. You see, it's not just that the father would be willing to give the son, but it's that the son would be willing to give his life and that he would give it in the form and the fashion that he gave it in. You see, the son was willing to leave his father. Never had that relationship ever been broken. Never had there been a vacancy in the throne of God in eternity past. The father was with the son and the son was always with the father. He sat upon a throne in splendor and on a throne in glory. He lived in majesty. He lived in holiness. He lived where there was no tempter, where there was no trouble and there was no trials. He lived in a place where there was eternal glory and there was eternal worship, where there was no sickness and there was no death. There was no suffering in glory. Can you imagine living in such splendor? What we look forward to is what the son left behind so that he could come to 
a sin-cursed earth, walk amongst men and live and die on an old rugged cross. Is that not a miracle that he would be willing to leave such a wonderful atmosphere and to come to the very depths of a sin-filled atmosphere? He leaves the Father, but he loves the fallen. You see, when Jesus walked on this earth, he didn't walk upon this earth despising the Father's will. He didn't walk upon this earth despising Calvary. He walked upon this earth for 33 and a half years and he delighted to do the will of the Father. Isn't that amazing? That not only the Father loved us, but the Son loved us. The Son came and he said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me. He said, I do always those things that please my Father. The Bible said, who for the joy that was set before him. What was set before our Savior was a brutal cross and and it was gruesome suffering and pain and agony. How could he look at that with such joy? Because beyond the cross, he saw a father that was pleased uh, and he saw people that were redeemed. Uh, redeemed. Uh, he saw those that would be rescued, those that would be brought out of sin, those that would be brought out of darkness and into light. He looked beyond our fall and he saw our need. He looked beyond who we were and saw what we could be. He looked beyond this world and he saw the glory world. He saw a bride that would come out of a dunghill. He saw my friend, uh, uh, sinners uh, uh, that would rise up out of the grave. Uh, and one day would be glorified. He looked beyond this world and looked into the eternal world. Oh, what love of the Father, but what love of his Son this morning. That he loved the fallen, he loved the, he left the Father, and then he lived in the flesh. You know, there was a part of Jesus that I'm very careful what I say about it. And I think we ought to be because I, one, I don't want to get it wrong. And two, it's just a fine line to tread, but yet it is Bible truth. Some of it I don't even fully understand. I've read different commentaries who define it and maybe they know more than I know, but yet it is such a fine line that it almost even brings fear to my heart to talk about. You say, what is that preacher? It's Christ living in the flesh. Because when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he was as much God then as he ever has been or ever will be. But yet somehow in some way that I cannot even explain within myself and would not debate with others, Christ limited himself to his comprehension, to his physical ability. There was things I know that we could say, well, he's God. He can do things at all times and I understand that. But yet he allowed himself to go through the growth process as an infant, as a young adolescence, as a teenage man, a boy, and into a young adulthood. Christ allowed himself to grow those 33 and a half years that he lived upon this earth that he allowed himself to be limited in humanity. You say, oh, preacher, I don't believe that. Well, the Bible says that he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. There are things that these young people are tempted with that you and I as adults are no longer tempted with anymore. And Christ, when he was born as a babe in Bethlehem, the, one of the miracles of that birth is that he was not born a superman. He did not lay in that manger as a superman. He was God, but he was limited. How in the world can we even explain that? 
But what we can say about it is this, is that Christ lived upon this earth and he lived every day as every other man lives every day. He lived in the flesh. He was tempted. He lived, he waxed, the Bible said he waxed strong in spirit. Physically and spiritually, he grew just like we grow. That leaves us without excuse. You might be a teenager, a young person this morning and say, well, it was easy for Jesus. No, it wasn't easy for Jesus. He lived in the same flesh you and I lived in. He didn't just live as a man, he lived like a man. I wanna tell you this morning, when you think about that, that is a miracle that Christ would lay, lay aside his glory. He would lay aside his majesty. He laid aside the robe of splendor. He laid aside all that he was and who he was and all of his power and he condescended and he walked amongst men as a man and like a man. That is a miracle this morning and that was the purpose of Bethlehem is that Christ, he didn't just show up one day as a king like Israel was looking for and walk down through the streets of Jerusalem and die on a cross and it back to glory. Oh no, friend, he came from the lowest to the lowest. He started out in the beginning and he walked through time just like you and I walked through time. And he walked through it the way we walked through it. And when he died on the cross, he died like a man as a man and he died before man. But thank God when he came out on the grave, he came out on the other side victorious with the keys of death and of hell. He'd walk through the story of life. What a miracle of the lowliness of the Son of God. And then I say this in closing. Not only does the purpose of Bethlehem reveal the mystery of the love of the Father, the miracle of the lowliness of the Son, but the purpose of Bethlehem is that it reveals the marvel of the liberty of the Spirit. You see, the whole purpose of what Paul is telling us is found in verse number six. And because your sons... God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You know, this morning the word Abba is an uh, Aramaic word that means father, and the word father is a, is a Greek word that simply means father, but it's where we get our English word, daddy. And I want to tell you this morning, the spirit of the son, the Holy Spirit lives within us that are saved, crying, Abba, Father. There's a connection this morning. There's a liberty. I don't have to see a priest. I don't need a pope this morning, and you don't either. Thank God for the pastor and the preacher that can pray for us, but you don't have to have the pastor. He's not a pope, and he's not a priest. I'm glad this morning every one of us can go home and get on our knees and we can talk to God. I talked to him this morning. Thank God I like the old songwriter said I've heard from heaven and it's all right now. Amen. I'm telling you friend I'm glad that there is nothing standing between me and him. The Bible said the spirit helpeth us. I'm glad that when I don't know how to pray he knows how to pray and there's liberty living in Christ. We're living in a time when people use that liberty in the wrong form in the wrong fashion but liberty in the word of God is not to do as you please and live as you will but liberty in the word of God is what sets us free from the bonds of sin and the bonds of change the chains of sin I don't live the way I used to live because I don't have to amen I don't live the way I used to live because I don't want to can I get an amen you say what changed there's a spirit living inside of me that creates a new desire a new hunger a new thirst that's the liberty of the spirit it's 
ways that you can look at the sin that once had you shackled and say, I don't want you anymore. I don't have to be a slave to you anymore. I can live. I found a new way, thank God. And it is the good way. It's the best way. It's God's way. And it's a spiritual way this morning. Is that not this morning the marvel of the liberty of the spirit? How that a man can go to AAA the rest of his life. I know men that do. And you know how they live? Well, I can't miss that meeting. I got to go to that meeting. If I miss that meeting, I may go back. But I want to tell you this morning, you let a man come to Calvary. He can look his sin that once had him shackled right square in the face and say, I'm no longer a slave to you anymore. 42 years of drinking, my father poured it out. I'd seen him pour it out many, many times and say, I've drank my last beer. I've drank my last glass of liquor. I've seen him pour that crown royal and filth, down, uh, uh, listen, filth of liquor down the sink many, many times. Uh, and even as a young boy, I thought to myself, he'll just go get more. I didn't understand the shackles of sin. I've seen him come to an altar many times uh, and prayed with him in an altar and never get saved. But he'd weep and cry and pray to God. And he would say, God, how does want to get rid of this alcohol. I want to get rid of this liquor. I'm tired. I'm miserable living this way. But friend, it wasn't the liquor and the alcohol that was his problem. One day in a little old country church, uh, he came down the aisle uh, and fell on his knees uh, and he said, God, I surrender all. I'm a hell-deserving sinner. Would you rescue my soul from hell? Uh, went home that day and he poured it out and thanks be unto God. Uh, he's no longer a slave uh, after 42 years of living in prison. He's been set free. That's what Calvary will do. That's what Jesus will do. He could have never done it in himself, but the spirit that's living on the inside has set him free, amen. The world don't understand that because it's a marvel. The mystery of the Father's love, the miracle of the Son's lowliness, but the marvel of the Spirit's liberty do you know this morning there's not one sin known to any of us that God, through his spirit, cannot give us the victory over? You know, if God can set a man free from alcohol, he can set him free from anything. God will give you the power to do it's what you cannot do. I wonder this morning, when you think about this spirit, the Bible said in verse number six, to redeem them that were under the law. Do you know what the word redeem means? It literally means to buy off the slave market. I want to tell you, sinner, one day, that's where we all were. We were on the slave market of sin. Nobody wanted us. And even if they did, they couldn't pay the price that was on our head. I'm glad one day the father stepped in. I'm glad one day the son said, I'll pay the sin debt. I'll not just pay it for him and I'll not just pay it for her. I'll not just pay it for one generation or for one nationality but I'll pay the sin debt for every slave that's ever stood on the auction block of sin 
past, present, and future. Hey, I'll tell you what Jesus did when he reached out his hands at Calvary. He reached all the way back through the corridors of time, walked through the Old Testament, through the poetic and through the historical books, reached all the way back through the Pentateuch, all the way back to the very beginning of time when there was just one man and one woman hiding themselves in the garden. He reached back and got a hold of Adam and got a hold of Eve and all of their sin. Then he reached out, went all the way down through the New Testament and through church history and through the revelation my friend and got a hold of the last sinner that would ever commit the last sin upon planet earth he reached from the beginning and he reached to the end and he pulled it all in at Calvary and with his blood he baptized the sin of every sinner in his holy blood and thank God I'm glad I can say this morning my sins are gone they've been washed away in the blood of the Lamb of God and I've been set free. I've been set free. We've been set free. What liberty this morning. And it all started in Bethlehem. This morning as we stand, we don't worship a baby. We don't worship a manger. But we worship a God that gave heaven's best. And this morning, our heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Christians are praying. Sinner, what about you? Do you have what it takes to go to heaven this morning? Is Christmas just a nativity to you or is it a reality? How about it this morning? I wonder if there'd be someone here by an uplifted hand say, oh, preacher, I'm not saved. Pray, Pray for me this morning. Please pray for me. Would you lift your hand and let me pray for you? I see those little hands lifted this morning. I wonder if there'd be another one. I see that little hand. Would there be another this morning? I wonder if there'd be a teenager, an adult this morning that'd lift your hand and say, Preacher, please pray for me. Now, if a child can have enough courage and enough concern for their soul to raise their hand and say, Please pray for me, surely this morning you can. I ask you, teenager, I ask you, adult, do you have the courage of a little child? Because Jesus said that's the only way you get in is childlike faith. Do you believe this morning that the Father loved you, that Jesus died for you, and that this morning the Spirit of God will save you if you'll come this morning?